Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of Witts University in Johannesburg, South Africa. Very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Kobus, it has been a dramatic past few weeks in the China-Africa relationship, really in the Chinese foreign policy world as a whole. Separate from all of the shenanigans going on in Washington right now with Donald Trump and the climate, uh, you know, the Paris Climate Accords and all the talk now of China assuming the leadership uh, of on global climate change and on so many other issues. Let's kind of put that aside for now. We'll put that on another discussion because it's that entertaining to, to kind of talk about. But really, there's been two key events of the past, say, three weeks that are, are worth noticing, particularly in the context of Africa. One was in, uh, in May when about between 50 and 60 leaders from around the world joined, uh, came together in Beijing for the One Belt, One Road Summit. And this was a really interesting summit in part because it was, uh, it was the first time that China really brought together the global community around the Belt and Road. People had been wondering, what is this thing? What is it going to mean for them? And in Africa, it had uh, you know particularly important resonance. So Kenyan President uh, Uhuru Kenyatta, he attended the summit. Prime Minister of Ethiopia was there. The Egyptian Minister of Trade and Tunisia's Minister of Culture were all there. So really not a very strong showing from Africa, but yet nonetheless one that represents the fact that Belt and Road is going to have an impact uh, in Africa. Then separately, we had the launch of the Standard Gauge Railway in Kenya, which has been considered an adjunct to the Belt and Road. I think it was conceived of before Belt and Road, but a lot of people are now kind of tying it into China's global uh, ambitions for trade and to link the world in this, what they're calling the Maritime Silk Road. And so the Belt and Road, Cobus, if you recall, is this idea of uh, and correct me if I'm here, it basically is a route that goes through down through Southeast Asia, around the tip of India, across the Indian Ocean, th- uh, up along Eastern Africa, through the Suez Canal, back across through Central Asia and the Middle East in into uh, China. So before we get started, Kobus, I think it'd be interesting to kind of get some sense of what is the Belt and Road and its meaning and why is it important? The Belt and Road is important because it is a massive multi-country infrastructure rollout. So it is, it's incredibly expensive. I, I've seen crazy numbers, like anything from one to five trillion dollars in total. And it is bigger than the Marshall Plan. So if it actually happens, it's going to connect China to the rest of the world in a way that could potentially shift some of the geoeconomic polarity of uh, part of the world economy towards Beijing. In the second place, it could have an additional impact of connecting a bunch of places along the route to other places along the route. So it's not only connecting these countries to China, but it's also connecting them to to each other in complicated ways, sometimes criticized for not doing enough, other times being criticized for doing too much. So it has a lot of potential impact, geopolitical impact, uh, among others. And there's a lot of questions being asked about things like security, like, you know, some of these some of these routes are running through extremely volatile parts of the world. How is that going to work? What is going to be the, the role of the Chinese government in all of this? Chinese companies, what role are they going to play? So it opens up a billion new questions and a, and a whole bunch of new, somewhat, some, in some ways, exciting potential, I think, for a lot of these countries. 
Yeah, let's build, set a, a, a little slightly larger context before we get into the discussion as to what it means specifically for Africa. So Belt and Road is the grand trading strategy, and attached to that are going to be billions of dollars of infrastructure to in order to service this. So it's going to be ports, airports, it's going to be naval operations. It will be train lines that connect Central Asia, Europe, and China. It's really, I mean, just ambitious thinking on a scale that we haven't seen uh, for generations. And and, and separate to this are these new institutions that are forming, and it's the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank, the, AA, the AIIB, and then there's also the BRICS Bank, which is a $50 billion bank as well that is seen as a, a challenge to the World Bank. The AIIB is seen as a challenge to the Asian Development Bank. And in many ways, what people are saying is that the Belt and Road is the reshaping of the global economic agenda uh, around China's interests. So what does this mean for Africa? It's not exactly clear, but one person who's been thinking about this is Ansetse Ware. She's an international development economist based in Nairobi, and she's also a columnist for the Kenyan newspaper Business Daily. Ansetse, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. I'm happy to be here. In a recent column for Business Daily, you asked the question, what China's One Belt, One Road initiative means for Africa? And one point stood out in your article more than anything for me. Let me quote you, and I'd like to get your reaction to it. Kenya and Africa do not need more debt from China. And if this initiative, the Belt and Road, is primarily debt financed in a non-concessionary manner, it will cause considerable concern in African capitals. So that's an interesting point of view because it's not one that I've heard very much from. Everybody that I've talked to about Belt and Road is, great, more money coming to Africa. Uh, you're saying, wait, we need to find out what kind of money is coming. Tell us more about that concern you've got. I think there, there are numerous concerns from a Kenyan perspective that this, uh, this Belt Initiative is having. I mean, first of all, the routes that China has prioritized, do they fall in line with the prioritization of infrastructure for countries like Kenya? That's question number one. Question number two is, how will that financing be deployed? What elements of that financing will be grant or non-concessionary? And what of that will be not concessionary? Because that will really inform the uptake of that debt in a manner that is sustainable both for us as a country, but also for the continent more broadly. And the third and final point is, to what extent can Africa leverage the other elements of this one belt for its own economic priorities? So I think until those three elements are clearly articulated, there will be skepticism. How is the Belt and Road Initiative at the moment being seen in Kenya? Is, is the consensus in Kenya, yay, great, like we hit the jackpot, we're part of the club, or is it a little bit more of a of an ambivalent reaction to it? Well, I think um, from a broader perspective, we don't know very much about it. I mean, apart from analysts like myself that are trying to find as much as we can on this content, um, the, general, the general Kenyan population is not really in tune with um, sort of this broader play that, that China's trying to do in terms of infrastructure. For those of us who do know what's going on, there, there, there are two concerns. The first concern is, are we just going back to the colonial model of developing infrastructure to get commodities out of Africa? To what extent would this China One Belt, One Road help Kenya develop the infrastructure that it wants to develop? the infrastructure that the country itself has prioritized. Will we have to abandon the infrastructure projects that we've prioritized and redirect a bunch of money to infrastructure projects that are not a priority for us as Kenya or for us as a region? 
And I think the other sentiment, as I've said before, is the debt levels and how will this be financed until that is clearly articulated. I think a lot of people will, will be waiting to, to share their input. Now, I think we need to be very clear here. Belt and Road really doesn't have a big impact for Africa. It has a big impact in several African countries. So let's kind of look at those. Most of those are on the eastern kind of shore. So we look at Kenya, which has a strategic importance for Belt and Road. Uh, the ports of Mombasa is, is very, very important. And then bringing in materials on the standard gauge railway to that port, which again goes to your point and sets a, is this more of a colonial relationship that's being formed here? And I say colonial only in the context of that the British built the infrastructure in Africa to go from mine to port. And so is the infrastructure being built for Belt and Road something that can be extended beyond mine to port? Then you have Djibouti, which of course is now the kind of hub for global militaries. The Japanese, French, Americans, and now the Chinese are there. And Egypt seems to be a big beneficiary of Belt and Road money uh, through because of its Suez Canal and its strategic location as well. So I think it's important to separate Africa from the key countries that are being impacted by it. I guess let's kind of come... Mm, go ahead. Can I just step in and say I think that's a very important point to point out because the PR around this is really about, oh, Africa this and Africa that. And when you look at the specifics of this initiative, you realize that there's a certain segment of the African continent that is being prioritized, you see? And you can't say that China is not the nexus of that prioritization. You, you know, they're sitting here in Africa looking at the proximity of the priority areas that are being pushed out in this BOTS initiative. And we're saying, well, of course, they have the closest proximity to the subcontinent. So you, you need to understand that already as Africans, we're beginning to start to think about, well, to what extent, because we'll, we have an agenda as Africans to interconnect our continent anyway. You know, that's a priority that governments across the continent have articulated. So you need to understand that that's going to be within the context of an African desire to prioritize interlinking the continent. And the way this Silk Road is being articulated, even though you're saying, oh, it's going to interlink many countries to each other, that may be very well and good, but it is very much uh, articulation in Africa around linking certain ports in this country, in this continent, to China. It also has the effect of linking them to Europe, right? Which is problematic in its own way, but at the same time, I mean, linking places where, places like Ethiopia, for example, where the government is trying to to encourage, um, you know, manufacturing investment through offering low wages and low electricity. That deal is not only in Africa, but in, but in other places like in Southeast Asia, that that same deal was offered with the idea that those countries, that what those countries also offer is proximity to big rich markets. So so in that sense, it's not unique to Africa. It's simply the version of, oh, manufactured cheaply in Ethiopia and, we'll, and, and sell in Europe seems to be, a, to me, a kind of a legitimate development strategy, at least. What, what do you think? Well, I think it will be, be informed by the sort of extent of shared ventures that we're going to have in that articulation. Because when you look at the current relationship that the East African side has with these richer markets, with a few exceptions, it's still really very, very basic agricultural commodities. So our concern, and, and really for me the question for African governments is, 
how do we leverage this network this seems like it's going to be built anyway whether we oppose it or not it looks like it's going to happen anyway how do we leverage that market to sophisticate our economies and to sophisticate our ability to deliver manufactured products to the avenues that are being opened up another issue that i'm not hearing being talked about is the control of these routes how will access be determined who will be responsible for negotiating access between countries? Because that will be a conversation between countries. China can do what it wants in terms of developing the infrastructure, but when it comes to the negotiation of the entry and exit of goods between different countries, that becomes a whole question altogether. I, I guess my, my question is, you know, you, we've talked about this idea of resisting it, and I, I think it's going to, as you pointed out, it's going to be built one way or another. Uh, certainly, Kenyatta in, in, in Kenya, he's not going to resist it. He, he loves going to China, getting money. I mean, they're that. No, no African country will resist it. Let me tell you that. We won't. Okay, so there is, you know, so, you know, is this unequal relationship being accentuated by the fact that China is driving the terms of the investment, it's driving the terms of the trade, and it's you talked about can one belt one road align with Africa's own or Kenya's own development uh, plans? And I don't think it can because at the end of the day, the Chinese are going to say, "This is what we want. Here's the money. Do it." And most likely, it's going to get done, right? I mean, regardless of what what, what Kenya, Ethiopia or uh, Djibouti think? You know, this is this is a, a very difficult question for me because on one hand, we are starved for infrastructure investment and we're getting into really difficult deals trying to build out our infrastructure. So the concern I'm having is the extent to which the focus that we as a region or as a continent have decided that these are our infrastructure priorities. To what extent will this China One Belt interfere with the implementation of those infrastructure priorities. Because beyond linking Africa to the rest of the world, there is a need and an awareness in African governments to link Africa to itself. Because we want to view ourselves as our own market and stop this over-dependence on richer markets, as has, as has been stated in this, in this podcast. So I think there will be a negotiation around, okay, so which priority interventions and infrastructure projects are we going to put on hold as we um, service this sort of Chinese edict almost because it's coming across like an edict because I do not remember as an analyst it's very active in, in keeping an eye on this stuff being asked for opinions on any of this I wasn't I'm not aware that as an African public we were asked whether we thought this was a good idea or not so I think that's one problem. I think the other is what I'm saying is that we already have our ideas as regions as to what should be prioritized and to what extent will this China One Belt interfere with the plans that we had in mind. Are there preferred infrastructure developments that you see now being sidelined in favor of, of Belt and Road initiatives? Or is, uh, is it more a feeling that you are worried that you're going to be hearing about some of them in two years? Yes, the second one. I think right now nothing is being sidelined because not much is being said. I mean, I don't think you understand sort of the position that we're in as analysts in Africa and the dearth of information that we get on some of these deals, particularly with China. We just don't get very much information. And when we do get that information, it tends to be very orchestrated and very much a PR a PR um, um, initiative. So in that sense, by nature, the information we get you know, can be questioned. I think there are things that I can think about immediately. Lapset, how will the Lamu um, Ethiopia-South Sudan uh, project of infrastructure between that's linking the region 
Will that be a part of this project? The second big one I can think of as a canyon is the Northern Corridor that's going to be linking the Greater Lakes region in and among itself. So I think it will be up to China to let us know to what extent these projects that we're going to look for financing for anyway, like these are projects that are on the table for our government anyway, to what extent will these projects that we have prioritized be part of this One Belt initiative? So, uh, you know, One Belt, One Road is really all about, you know, trade. I mean, it's focused exclusively on trade. And so trade goes in both ways. It extracts raw materials out of Africa and other developing countries, and it produces manufactured goods in China, which are then resold back into those markets again. And that's the problem. Well, okay, but this is a very Leninist framework here. Lenin, you know, a century ago, or I, I'm, I don't know Leninist history that well, but whenever he said it was, that was the framework of kind of the so-called first world to third world dynamic. Extract raw materials, make finished goods, sell them back into those markets. So we have two concerns here. We have one, which is, is there going to be too much resource extraction out of Africa that doesn't necessarily help facilitate economic development and continues the resource curse? And is uh, the second is on the inbound side. Are two, or is China going to flood African markets with low-cost products because it's now got this beautiful infrastructure in place to do so that makes African producers weary under the competition from the China price? So I'm getting concerned here that, that Belt and Road may actually not be a good benefit for, for Africa because they simply can't compete. Listen, this is already a problem that we're having in, in, in Kenya on, on both sides. On one hand, in terms of the, the influx from Chinese goods, we, in the last economic survey, um, a lot of our share in manufacturing exports to the region has been at the from countries like China. We've had factories shut down because of the influx of cheap Chinese goods. And I think if we're going to get into this uh, One Belt initiative, we really need to calibrate our import markets to take an eye on that and, and to manage that a bit more effectively. I think, secondly, one of the problems I'm having with this infrastructure drive, it has nothing to do with the industrialization of, of Africa. What seems to be happening is that the Chinese government continues to be obsessed with infrastructure. But Chinese private sector seems to be getting increasingly interested in manufacturing. So what I'm hoping is that this One Belt initiative may begin to get those two to marry each other a bit more. In the past, obviously, we saw that Chinese government was very much behind Chinese private sector initiatives. But that has sort of um, differentiated itself over the past sort of decade. But, uh, you know, one of the concerns I'm having is that if we as Africans see more Chinese goods flooding our markets, and if we don't see this facilitating the development of industrialization in the region, because the region is already positioning itself as the new manufacturing hub for the world in the context of Ogoa, in the context of Comesa and ECOWAS and all these other things. If we don't see that facilitating that, then there will be resistance. And I think that soft power is not what I'm seeing in this plan, is that this is like an edict from China telling Africa, we're going to do this whether you like it or not, and you're going to realign your infrastructure priorities in line with the financing that we want to give. And, and if we don't see a negotiation around the conversations African governments are, are having around building industrialization and how this route can be used for that, then, you know, it will become tense. It will become tense. But to which extent is that up to African governments themselves? I mean, to which extent is it an issue of China dominating the region? And to which extent is it that these 
these opportunities are happening kind of they they can run past africa or via africa and that there is this opportunity for africa to to build something out of this additional traffic that's going to be passing flowing past them well i mean i think until then and i think i've said this before that this is part of partly an internal problem in the east africa region around how we're structuring our industrialization and sort of the lack of cooperation within east africa itself around the industrialization impetus that we have decided we're going to get into. In Kenya itself, you know, we have a strategy, but the implementation has been paltry at best. And so the concern is that, particularly from manufacturers, I think you need to understand the context in which this is happening, and maybe this may be useful for your, for your, for your hearers, is that within the East African region, there are two things that are happening. Number one, we're getting this influx of manufactured products from, from China, and that has been a very old problem. And we feel like they're dumping their products, particularly substandard products, into the African market because they know that our standardization levels are very poor and also very poorly implemented. So there's already a broad concern around, is Africa a dumping ground, particularly East Africa because of the proximity to China? Is East Africa a dumping ground for Chinese products? And how will the One Belt facilitate that? The second problem that's happening in the East African context in terms of manufacturing, and I'm saying manufacturing because this is the only way we could effectively leverage the One Belt, is that within East Africa itself, there's a sense of competition between countries where Uganda, Tanzania, Ethiopia, Kenya, Rwanda, we're all getting into this manufacturing drive. But what's happening is that each country wants to reserve its market for its own manufacturers. So if you're looking at it from a Kenyan perspective, what's happening is that our market share in manufacturing is being cut not only by China, but also by the behavior of our neighboring countries that don't want our products to get in to their countries because they want to reserve those markets for their own manufacturers. So you cannot avoid these sorts of complexities informing the infrastructure development that China is talking about in the One Belt. So how much of the of the, the concerns are one, of One Belt, One Road that you have are based on the Chinese? And you've talked about the lack of transparency, the opacity, the, there's no civil sector dialogue. Okay, those are all legitimate concerns. I get that. But it also sounds like a lot of what you're talking about is incompetence and the lack of good governance and the lack of regionalism that exists within Africa, trade standards, you know, cross-border, you know, currency fluctuations and trading and whatnot, all the different things that should happen in a regional economic zone that are not happening. And the importation of substandard Chinese products, how much of that is the fault of China and how much of that is the lack of competent regulation at the border of Uganda, Tanzania, Kenya, for example. And so how, where does the burden lie? Where does the burden lie here in terms of regulating the, you know, the impact of, of a, say, a Belt and Road Initiative? I think it's both, and I don't think it's useful to talk about it in terms of fault. I'm one of the few analysts that are very open about the problems we have in the EAC. And even though we are often credited as the greatest sort of uh, economic and soon-to-be monetary union in Africa, there are very fundamental problems around competition in our region. And no country wants to be left behind. And each country is positioning itself against the next country as a conduit for investment, particularly for manufacturing. That is not a problem that China can solve. That's a problem that we have to deal with as a region. And we need to get a lot more candid in our diplomatic conversations around regionalism and around positioning ourselves as a region for manufacturing. Notwithstanding 
that conversation will be affected by this one belt, one road. And I think we need to start understanding that there are not only going to be problems in terms of economic development and, and dumping, but this may generate serious diplomatic tension, you know, where we, we are tired of being the dumping ground, you know, and it's also this element of China being dishonest in the way some of its uh, private sector behaves and state-owned enterprises behave, where they take advantage of the loopholes in African economies to dump their goods into our markets. Now, this speaks to the broader interesting development of China trying to position itself as a global leader and a global, you know, con convener almost. We in Africa will take that with a grain of salt as long as these subversive, um, almost illegal activities, if you look at the illegal mining, if you look at the illegal logging, you know, there are questions as to the extent to which Chinese companies are part of that conversation and the extent to which this silk belt and this one belt will facilitate that type of exploitation. So I don't think China should be naive in thinking that it can just create an edict and say, we're going to build this infrastructure anyway, and it will get built. I'm sure we're going to uh, deprioritize some of our infrastructure priorities to, to, to take advantage of this money, but there will be long-term generation of tension. And I think without awareness of that, I think China is, being, is underestimating the capacity of African countries to question what it's doing. And Setsi Ware is an international development economist based in Nairobi, also a columnist for the Kenyan newspaper Business Daily. Uh, she has a column for Business Daily that was written on Sunday, May 21st, What China's One Belt, One Road Initiative Means for Africa. Uh, it's essential reading for anybody who's interested in the future of the China-Africa relationship because One Belt, One Road, particularly in several countries in Eastern Africa, will have a profound impact. And Ntsetsi has some, some very, very insightful comments on this. So thank you so much for joining us. And the fact that we have all this construction behind you only adds to the drama. I know. The, the economy seems to be growing. Our real estate is definitely booming. Well, maybe possibly due to the interest of One Belt, One Road. We'll see. Well, we'll see. <laughs> Kobus, let me, let me get a final thought from you on this. You know, my take on, on One Belt, One Road is that it will definitely not live up to the hype. Uh, there is no way. It can't live up to the hype. It's too big. You know, you talked about $5 trillion, and the Chinese don't have $5 trillion anymore. The economy's slowing. They don't have $1 trillion to put into this. But that doesn't mean that One Belt, One Road isn't going to be a transformative diplomatic political event in kind of the, the world uh, where we are today. And I think in, this has to be seen in the context of Donald Trump and what the United States is doing in terms of its retreat from global leadership and how the Chinese are going to come in and are going to be taken seriously in a way that they weren't in a pre-Donald Trump era. So even though it won't lead up to the, the hype, it won't live up to the hype, it is still going to be very, very important, and particularly in those countries impacted in Africa. I think it's very important to take the hype around it seriously. At the moment, even even if it happens in full detail, like the, the Chinese government plans, it still is essentially a creature of hype because how is the 21st century maritime Silk Road going to exist? It's not, you know, it, it exists as lines on a map. If it gets completely built, it's going to ex essentially exist as a series of ports. It, it as a unified entity linking linking all of these different cities in um, in the world to China exists essentially just in our imagination, and I think that is where it really is important. 
because being able to be an Im- the leader of a glo- of the global imagination that is what a superpower does and that is what the US has not done for a while you know the the US is just not inspiring anyone right now and i think that is that there's a, like an inspiration vacuum and i think that is where the one belt one road really really steps in so i think that that is actually the the level that i'm super interested in it is this kind of the way that it exists kind of in everyone's imagination and the impact that that then will have on how china is imagined in the world which i think is going to kind of be the, maybe the story of at least the first half of the century um is you know what china does with that kind of imaginative power Okay, well, that'll do it for this edition of the China in Africa podcast. We're back every week with a fresh new show. If you'd like to check out some of our older shows, head over to our website at ChinaAfricaProject.com. There you'll also be able to find our weekly email newsletter where we include articles like those from Ansetze. We also feature... Uh, basically the top four or five stories of the week, our podcast, and then an academic or research article. So it's a great way to stay on top of uh, China-Africa news without having to do a lot of work. We do it for you. So we'll be back again next week with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Thank you so much for listening. The discussion continues online. Head over to facebook.com slash China Africa Project to share your thoughts on today's show or follow China Africa News that's updated every four hours, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The guys are also on Twitter where you can find Kobus at Stadenesk or Eric at Eolander. That's E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. Subscribe to the China Africa podcast on iTunes or download the mobile apps for iOS, Android, or Windows Phone. Just head over to your favorite store and search for China Africa. 